Is that Lady Whistledown? Has she published, Mama? Indeed she has. Now we may know why we are the only ones here. Should our lives be distilled down to the sum total of our choices, then Miss Eloise Bridgerton has certainly made a dangerous, perhaps ruinous one. For she's apparently been associating unchaperoned with improper company. Political radicals, in fact. seem happy, my lady? It seems our neighbours are to remain afflicted for quite some time. Colin Bridgerton, go ahead. Seal the agreement with him. <laughs> it might be that the young miss spent a great deal of time considering her decisions. Or perhaps they were made in haste. Whatever the case may be, we all must remember, as one makes one's bed, so one must lie in it. Hello everybody, my name is Bradley and welcome back to another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are diving deep into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton by taking a look at the seventh episode, the penultimate episode of season two, entitled Harmony. For this season of Bridgerton so far, I've kind of been half-heartedly giving out adult content warnings just in case something adulty were to happen or that I were to talk about something adulty. However, in this episode with 100% sincerity, I can promise you that we will be talking about quite a bit of adult content. If you haven't watched the episode, which you should have done, uh, there's a lot of adult stuff at the end that we're going to talk about, and that's great, that's awesome, I'm happy it happened, and we're going to talk about it. So, if you do not want to hear me talk about sex in this episode, then you should probably turn it off because we will be discussing it quite a bit. We are running out of time on the season, only one episode left after this, but just in case, I, I, I will not spoil anything that happens in the finale. I actually haven't watched the finale yet. The finale breakdown will actually happen over two podcasts. I'm going to do an instant reaction to the finale with Mia, which will be no notes, no nothing. We're going to watch the episode and then immediately just, you know, thoughts come out of brain into microphone, and then I'll do the full deep dive episode like this one, so I have not watched the finale, so I can't spoil it anyway. However, just if you're here and you do not want to be spoiled on what happens after this episode, you will not be, which is awesome. And finally, before we get started, if you are enjoying this podcast, make sure to go and subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you are listening to it. It is very, very helpful to get this podcast out to more people. Bridgerton is the most popular television show on the planet, so there's a huge market out there for people who want to listen to deep dives and breakdowns on it and, and, and liking and subscribing. And those five-star reviews are the best way, other than word of mouth, really, to get the podcast out. So I, I really appreciate it if y'all are doing that. We have a Facebook group that you can join to hang out, chat about Bridgerton, get some updates for me just you know you don't have to chat about Bridgerton you can chat about anything else it's a cool group with cool people if you want to join that we have a patreon it's kind of like a tip jar of sorts I think I think it starts like three dollars or something it's pretty inexpensive but very helpful for me and there you get early access to all the episodes some show notes those types of things as a little bonus and a little thank you and finally 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 before I get started the last thing I just want to I just want to do this sincere warning one more time 
this episode contains adult content. I just want to, it's been a while, season one, you know, every episode just murdered us with adult content. This season, it's been a little quieter. I just want to do this one last warning, adult content. Let's roll, let's hop into it. Season two, episode seven, the penultimate episode, Harmony. You have to stop. I have to stop. There is no other course of action to be concluded. You must stop. It has been you. It has been you this entire time. Spinning my world off its axis, making me reconsider everything I've ever told myself. I came here resolved to save my family. Everything I have ever done has, has been, been for them. Has been for them. Yeah. You are the one who must stop. Before what? Before we both finally do something for ourselves? Please go inside. Go inside. What did I tell you about you and your orders? Episode 207, written by Oliver Goldstick and directed by Cheryl Dunyer. I'm going to give this, this score is going to surprise a lot of people, I think. However, it does not surprise me, having watched it twice now and taken notes. I'm going to give this episode score a 7.7. .7. And I think that might be the lowest score of the season. However, we, we, we've been in the 8s for most of the season. So for those of you who haven't listened to season 1, just know that above a 7 is my mark for a good episode of television. If you are above a seven, you are doing really well. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this episode. I have very little negative to say about it. It just didn't like vibe or click with me in the same way the other episodes have this season. This season, we've been living mostly in the eights. It's season one was mostly in the sevens. I think like 7.7, 7.8 was one of the higher scores last season. So we're doing good. We're still doing fine. This episode just didn't, um, I don't know. It just fell a little more flat to me than the other episodes of the season other than the end i want to be clear the end of it is amazing and awesome and we're gonna love that and it's gonna be great but before that it just kind of felt like things were happening i have no specific objection to the things that are happening and the things were happening were cool and fun and exciting to follow but it wasn't really like huzzah there was no kind of pep or spice to it if that's making sense and so it just didn't jump out at me as one of the higher scoring episodes of the season so we're gonna land with a 7.7 .7, which is still quite good if you're you're well clear of the seven mark for this episode so good episode of television but kind of lagging behind some of the other ones in this season which is interesting because I, I went on imdb to check the ratings there and I had a couple people email me and it seems like my opinion of really enjoying the wedding episode was kind of opposite to most people's opinions so i wonder if people really enjoyed this one and i just didn't as much so we'll see how we go here anyways let's let's hop into the scene by scene just kidding we are not doing the scene by scene i'm an idiot who doesn't know despite like 15 episodes in i have no idea the format of my own podcast things i liked about this episode obviously the sexy time it was fun that's it. That's all. It's so fun. It's exciting. It's awesome. Uh, the whole kind of garden pavilion thing. Amazing. We're going to talk a lot more about it when we get there. 
obviously love that. If you didn't love that this episode, then I don't even know what 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 have you been building up for, man? Like, what were the last six episodes for? Six and three quarter episodes for if it wasn't for that? So that was awesome. The stuff with Eloise was a big improvement. It really ground again. Really just did not vibe with me in the last episode. And this episode, we got a little more of that nuanced Eloise that is still kind of doing things for herself, partly because she is, you know, being put in that situation where she kind of has to do it, but also not just ignoring and selfishly, like, not caring about her family at all. So I like that we were back to fairly nuanced Eloise instead of just, you know, asshole selfish Eloise, and that was great. With the things I didn't like, there's no one specific thing, to be honest. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't vibe with the episode ratings that much. There are episodes that I've rated higher where I have more specific things I didn't like. But in terms of just the general episode, for the first three quarters of it, it kind of just happened at me. I was watching it. I was enjoying it. I wasn't, like, putting down my phone or, like, going to pour another glass of wine. I was interested. I was looking at it. The people were, the characters were talking. They were doing things. And everything was happening. And I enjoyed it. Nothing just popped off where I was like, oh, Oh, that was done really well or oh that was super cool or Ooh, I'm super into this so I just didn't get that feeling of man Bridgerton's awesome you know I kind of just got that feeling of Bridgerton's fun I'm having fun here I'm enjoying this but I'm not loving it and so I think that's my overall thing I didn't like for the first like three quarters of this episode now we can get into the scene by scene, but first I got an email. I get lots of emails. I appreciate all of them. Feel free to send your emails. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. I've actually gotten the most amount of emails over the last kind of two weeks while I've been sick. <laughs> you know, people were people were interested in where I was and why there wasn't a podcast, and they used that time to email me all of their opinions about Bridgerton, which was great. And I have saved them all, and I will be doing an episode or two or five or however much I get um, of emails. I will be doing listener feedback episodes so we can all kind of retroactively talk about the season just to see where you guys were and what you vibed with and what your episode scores were and all of those types of things but I did get one email that I just wanted to read quickly on the podcast it says I'm waiting for the next episode this is when I was sick I literally reopened Facebook which I haven't used in ages to become a member to the group awesome welcome to the Facebook group hope you're having fun in there because this was sent on May 4th so six days in the group hope you're having a good time I don't know if this means much but I'm going through a hard time lately and I've been really enjoying these recaps you're doing a great job you should take notes on other shows merci beaucoup and i just wanted to say sometimes you know i've been online and it's been hard because i don't want to spoil myself so i will get deep into the shit after i watch uh, the last episode however i've been online and there's a lot of people online that I suspect take this show uh, slightly too seriously, right? Like they're a little too into it. They're a little too... There's a lot of vitriol. This happens not just with Bridgerton, with Game of Thrones, with Star Wars. You know, it's good to remember that all of these things are pretend and that they're not something you should take overly seriously and they should not impact your life in any kind of like meaningful way just because they exist however what i do like is the idea that through the conversation about a show through evaluating it that this podcast specifically the way i've laid it out and, and kind of do it um, can help somebody through a hard time the whole premise of this podcast 
is is to analyze the show. Bridgerton gets a rep of a sh- uh, as a show that like you're not meant to analyze. Don't think too much about it. You know, there's just sex all the time, and it's fun to watch, but you shouldn't think too much about it. And what I like to do is kind of flip that on its head and think too much about Bridgerton. There there are very few kind of mid twenties dudes out there thinking a lot about Bridgerton, and that's what I think makes this podcast fun. Is I don't take it too seriously. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy this podcast. But what I try to do is I I really have tried hard to keep things upbeat, to keep things positive, to keep things fun to not take this show too seriously so that listening to this podcast is just kind of an enjoyable companion experience, right? There are people out there that are TV critics that will do a better job of breaking down the show. There are people that have read the books. There are people who pay attention more when they're watching the episodes. Um, But to know that this podcast and the way it's formatted and the way I approach it can kind of help somebody through a hard time is kind of, to me, the best possible outcome These types of things, watching Bridgerton, listening to podcasts, are oftentimes the things we do to escape the real world. And the real world is full of lots of problems. But this podcast is not. There are zero problems here. For the hour and a half that you are here with me, and I'm kind of just talking at you through a microphone, there should be zero problems. It should not be stressful. There should be zero kind of issues happening. You should be able to kind of escape into it for that 90 minutes. And that's kind of the whole point and kind of why I want to do these podcasts and how I want to approach it. So I just wanted to say thank you for the email. I appreciate that this podcast is able to help somebody through a bit of a hard time. And I hope that that hard time is going better for you now. Um, But just know if you're out there and you are having a hard time and, and you are listening to this podcast every once in a while as a way to kind of escape that, that I appreciate you. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast and I'm glad that this kind of system and the way I approach it is working instead of being something that it just, you know, I don't take the show too seriously. And it would be really easy for people to leave me the feedback like, oh, he doesn't watch the episodes enough or oh, he should Google things more or whatever. But to get the feedback that this podcast is kind of helpful and is providing the escape that I'm kind of intending it to provide, um, that that means a lot to me. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. We start the episode with Lady Whistledown kind of going over the wedding and who's responsible for it. We got jilted grooms and jilted brides and all kinds of things that she's talking about here. One of the things she says that I think more people in 2022 should endeavor to do without getting too into it. uh, We should all endeavor to not uh, kind of pander to misinformation. We should all take a cue from Lady Whistledown's book. And we should go with the truth. And that would set us free in a way. You know what I mean? So let's all, you know, after you listen to this episode, let's all be a little more like Lady Whistledown. Less about the gossiping, more about not dealing with misinformation. But hey, you know, we take our lessons where we can learn them. The queen is very, very mad. She is choked. Lady Whistledown pretty much says, I don't know what happened. I have no clue what happened about the bride and the altar and why she ran away. No one knows. We were going to wait for an official explanation. But what I do know for sure is that the queen set her up for this moment. There is no, it's kind of like like my thing, if you set someone up to fail. And this, like, she's making kind of the same argument. Edwina could not have run away if she had not been placed there by the queen to run away. Which is not really fair, but it's a funny argument. So I'm vibing with it. Uh, the queen is pissed about this. She's She is throwing things all over the place she's knocking down portraits and stuff which is very funny we have lady whistledown saying you know if we don't get an official explanation soon everybody is going to be caught up in their tawdry imaginings and then we cut straight to kate having you know i I suppose i don't know what the word tawdry means i suppose i should i'm gonna google this right now dictionary.com tawdry i'm assuming like dirty sexual 
Um, showy but cheap and of poor quality. Oh. Okay, well that's not what I was expecting. Anyways, I, I assumed in this case tawdry to mean more like dirty or, you know, what, what does Anthony say later? Oh, what does Anthony say later about his, um, um, oh, what is it? Sorry, I'm getting caught up on this word tawdry. Y'all are about to tune out of the podcast. I'm scrolling down to my notes here. Um, impure and forbidden desires. That's what I imagine tawdry imaginings are. Impure and forbidden imaginings. Anyways, sorry for that interlude about tawdry. We, um, we cut to Kate having what I assumed are the tawdry imaginings, even though I'm now learning that word doesn't make a lot of sense. And so they've kissed at the end of the wedding and she's literally in bed. She's like rubbing her collarbone and stuff, which is, you know, yeah, sensual or whatever. But then she starts like literally like tracing her fingers over her lips. And I'm like, oh my God, we are now, we're all in horny jail. She's in horny jail. She has a, you know, what's it called? An, um, a solitary confinement cell <laughs> in horny jail. This is just too much. It's so funny. She's like rubbing her lips. And then she gets kind of interrupted and awoken or kind of snapped out of her tawdry imaginings for bath time. And oh boy, is this bath time wild. I went through a whole bunch of swings and roundabouts about the bath time scene. My first note, if you're on the Patreon and looking at my show notes, is what the fuck is this setup? And I went through a whole set of emotions like, why on earth in the middle of like this fight do we have all the Sharmas having a bath together in the same room? This is a giant house. You could set up these baths, you know, anywhere. It's not like in this time they had to like boil the water and pour it in and then wait for it to cool down. And so it's not like there aren't a lot of fireplaces to do this water boil. So this is ridiculous. However, I suppose having it in the same room together in the middle of this fight, bonker stuff. But I suppose it makes sense for the scheduling. One of the things I learned when I was on YouTube learning about the social seasons is that everything is very scheduled in this world, right? You know, promenade time is at 11, tea time is at 1, opera time is at 4, you know, early snack time at someone's house is at 7, and then a ball is at 10 o'clock till 2 in the morning or whatever. So everything is very scheduled, which means bath time has to be the same time for anyone. Like You can't just... The way the social day works is you're booked all day. Like, there's no time in the middle of the day to come back and have a cheeky bath before you get out. So I suppose it makes sense from that scheduling perspective. But why on earth they're having a bath in the same room is, I may, can the servants not lift the copper tubs? Like, I don't even know what the deal is here. I just, I'm out. I'm out on them having this bath in the same room. It's wild. It's crazy. To no one's surprise, they're just awkwardly kind of staring at each other, which makes a lot of sense, especially if I'm Edwina in this case. Mary kind of has this look at Kate where she kind of looks sad for Kate, like, oh, man, like, maybe I was a little hard on you. Like, this sucks for you, too. It doesn't just suck for Edwina. But then Edwina stands up out of the bath and goes, I'm finished, meaning, like, I'm finished with the bath, but also, like, I am finished in the... Like, she... She kind of has this way that she's also saying, I am finished. Like, I am no longer desirable. I am no longer going to find a husband. I am no longer a participant in this social season. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to get the dowry or whatever. So there's kind of a double meaning to the I'm finished here, which I, I enjoyed that little good bit of writing there from Oliver Goldstick. Well done, Oliver. And then <laughs> this this is another line. In the last episode, we had the, you know, sometimes looks or don't mean anything. And then we had Kate with a look later. Um, uh, there's a little line here where Mama Sharma is something like, you know, you should try the lily soap. That'll be helpful. It's like, cool, whatever. I, th that will not be helpful, but thanks, Mama Sharma. However, then 
later in the episode when they're kind of talking and Anthony says, like, you are a woman of that scent or whatever romantic things he says. And then he says, like, lilies or since the first time that he smelled her at the first ball or whatever, she smelled of lilies. And I was like, yo, hot damn, the Lily Chekhov's lily soap is working. Mama Sharma, uh, like this show is full of people unintentionally getting Kate to like fall in love with Anthony. And this is another one where Mama Sharma is like, yo, you got to use the lily soap there. We're, we're in a rich place. There's lots of soap options. Got to use the lily stuff. And then she uses the lily stuff. And then Anthony just fucking loves lily scent. And it's like, this is amazing. This is hilarious. I love this line so much. Just a cheeky little line in there. Absolutely paid off at the end, though. Over at the Bridgerton house, Anthony's siblings are being fucking useless as normal. <laughs> Anthony's not even in the room yet, and everyone's dunking on him. Colin has a good ding about his uh, bungled nuptials, which is pretty funny. Gregory is like, hey, at least there's leftover cake. You know, Anthony's a fucking idiot, but at least he had a... The queen made a nice cake, so that's pretty funny. Elle being Eloise is, you know, quite good. And, you know, it's still kind of ground on me a little bit at the beginning of the episode. But she's like, you know, it's crazy that all of this has happened because someone simply changed their mind. You know, like, I agree with you, Eloise. It is very crazy that this is happening simply because a woman changed her mind. Just good stuff from all of the Bridgerton siblings once again. Anthony walks into the room. Mama Bridgerton suggests a promenade to help fix this problem, which I'm not sure how that's going to help. But hey, you know what? They're going to be united as a family walking around, which is, you know, what a plan. They, they, like, the, the people in this world have two things that they know how to do. They know how to dance and they know how to walk. Those are the only two things that they do. And so the Lady Bridgerton starts with a walk and they go promenading. And then later in the episode, she moves towards a dance, right? But those are the only two options. So there's no recourse. If, if the walk doesn't work and the dance doesn't work, I don't even know how you're going to approach fixing this situation. So she suggests a promenade. Anthony has a brief moment of being like, her, her, I'm actually the man of the house. Isn't the house leaded by a, led by a gentleman? Benedict has a great moment. He has a lot of these little good moments where he's trying to be a good big brother. Like, hey, is there anything we should know about or anything I should just know about? Awesome stuff. Good. I don't know if you heard that. Someone's like racing a Ferrari outside my house right now. Benedict being awesome, which is great. And then Eloise being like just still being Eloise is like you know what actually I am not gonna promenade and be helpful like you want me to I'm actually gonna go because walking is just too much all of the Bridgerton siblings too not just Eloise have this like head back like just oh a walk mom you want us to walk around the burden on my life that that would impose it's like yeah, that's all you do you walk and you dance those are the two I guess Benedict paints and drinks those are the things that you do there's not a lot of there's not a lot of things that you're doing that don't involve walking or dancing. So I don't know why this promenade is such a burden. You do it literally every day. But Eloise wants no part in that. She she wants to go see Theo. But she she says, I must go buy new gloves to look more, you know, united and family-y. Family? I don't know what I'm trying to say here. So we can look more united as a family, which is... Hey, just dumb. You know Eloise has like a bunch of gloves, but also no one in this family goes, you know what? We got servants for that shit. Well, yeah, this house is full. Like later when they're starting like organizing the ball, I counted at least a dozen servants. Is one of them unable to go and buy gloves for people? Does it have to be Eloise to go to the market? I don't know. Weird, weird stuff. But everyone just like lets Eloise leave. So sure enough, no one tries to stop her. So that's fair. Eloise walks out of the house and boom, 
the queen is there and then it cuts off we're gonna get to this a little more later but just hilariously convenient though as the queen pulls up the one person she wanted to talk to happened to be the one sneaking out of the house to go meet her secret you know printer buddy just you know if you're the queen and you're rolling up to that situation there's no better outcome because she like think about it from this she was gonna have to like go up to the door knock on the door all the bridgertons would have been like your majesty and like lined up and shit and she would have had to explain actually i'm just here to talk to eloise like all of that was just avoided because eloise was already walking out of the house just hilariously convenient love that we now get to actually go on the promenade, which I thought was a terrible idea, and it turns out the idea is even more terrible, and I actually laughed out loud at this. Lady Danbury is explaining that their story they're going to tell people is that it was a mutual understanding about a private matter, which is bonkers. Like, just bonkers considering the situation was that Edwina just ran away right before the nuptials were going to take place, which is not the outcome of a mutual understanding. Like, a mutual understanding does not take place. Like, Edwina and Anthony weren't even talking to each other. Like, it's just weird to me that this is the approach they're going to go with. I suppose it's the only one that may work, and I can't think of a better idea but the idea that they're going to sell Edwina just like sprinting out of her own wedding at the last possible second as the way a normal person would act to try and cancel a wedding because of a mutual understanding is not going to work. Like it doesn't like it's just so weird to me that this is the again, they only know how to walk or dance. They, they have no kind of skill with this kind of stuff. But not that I have a better idea here, but it was hilarious to me. I laughed out loud when I realized that they were going to try and tell people it was a mutual understanding that resulted in one of the two people just sprinting off from their own wedding that the queen had set up. Just wild. Absolutely wild. Edwina is the only smart person around. Kate gets a bit to be a little smart here too. But Edwina's like, wait a second. We are actually just going to walk around and pretend like nothing happened. Nobody wants to talk to the Sharmas. They're out here. They're being, you know, shunned by society for this, you know, huge gossip thing that has happened. You know, you know, I can't talk to you anymore. You ran away from a wedding. Crazy. And so Edwina's like, are we really just going to walk around and pretend nothing has happened? And then Mama Sharma has to be like, well, we're not pretending nothing has happened. We are just dealing with it in private in our own time. And that's nobody else's business, which is, you know, fair in a different society. But in this society that they all participate, it actually is kind of everyone else's business in the way their whole society is set up. As if these people, like as if the Sharmas and the Bridgertons are immune from ever, you know, changing their opinions on somebody based on gossip or whatever. They have never, ever done that. So that was all kind of funny to me that now they were trying to be like, now that they're on the bad end of the gossip, they're like, well, why do people care about gossip so much? But when they're on the other end of it, they're just as into the gossip as, as everyone else. Lady Danbury tries to explain that, you know, people have short memories on the ton. <laughs> no one's going to remember this happened. Like, it's like, and Kate says what I'm thinking, like, yeah, okay, Lady Danbury. Yeah, no one's going to remember the giant wedding the queen put on that Edwina just sprinted away from for what other people realize is no reason. They do not know the reason other than possibly a mutual understanding if they've been told. So I think, uh, I put in my notes, yeah, I think the story is sticking around. Uh, and then Kate says, a bigger story I do not foresee. I'm, a I'm agreeing with Kate on that one. I think this one is going to stick around for a hot minute. I did find it interesting that both the Bridgertons and the Sharmas are kind of being equally shunned. We got a little bit of a, a teaser, an Easter egg at the end of the wedding that Miss Cowper was like, maybe there's something wrong with Anthony. But considering the situation is like that Edwina sprinted away from a wedding in what appeared to be a very good match with one of the most eligible people 
on the the marriage market it kind of seems weird to me that they're being equally shunned what i assumed would have happened is that all the sharmas would have been shunned obviously um but that the bridgertons would have a rough time but not like a completely terrible time where nobody's on their side and everyone just assumes that anthony's also equally to blame for it which may or may not be true but again they don't know the real reason why any of this happened i just thought if everyone watches you know anthony and edwina are standing there and anthony wants to get married he's gonna go get married he's there he's doing the thing he's standing there the the, the, the guy is talking about carnal desires and stuff and he's there and it's edwina that runs away and regardless of the reason for that i assumed that more people would assume that it was just Edwina and that Anthony had nothing to do with it and that Edwina was crazy or whatever. But I did find it a little interesting that the Tawn is kind of holding them equally in, in poor regard for that. The Featheringtons come... <laughs> The Featheringtons coming along for their holier-than-thou moment. Uh, I'm going to give them a little bit of a beware, uh, the pride goeth before the fall kind of warning here for the Featheringtons. But in this moment, just so funny that Lady Featherington's walking. I'd be like, yo, Bridgertons, it, how does it feel to be on the shit end of the ton right now? You know, you know, last year we were going through all kinds of things. But now What's-Her-Face is married to her cousin. That's going really well. Marina's married to Lady Crane. Cheese and Sneeze is part of the family. Or we've married someone off to Cheese and Sneeze and all that. It's awesome. We're doing great. Things are lovely. And you're, you're kind of in the dumps. But don't despair. Things will get better. And the, the, the audacity of the Featheringtons to come to the Bridgertons and be like, Yeah, weird. How? which strange it is to have flip-flopped these positions is just it's too much for me it's so funny though i loved every moment penelope sticks around for a moment to try and like apologize for and just you know be a nice person and lady featherington has to do what everyone else is doing and be like now now we, we actually can't talk to them penelope they're pariahs like we cannot we cannot socialize with them for, for more than 30 seconds before we get dragged down into the the unsocial club with them. And so just the whole thing with the Featheringtons was so funny. Uh, they're rocking up to be holier than thou. And we know as the audience, their whole thing is built on top of a scam anyway. It's just so good. So funny. Quick cutting back to the Queen and Eloise in the gilded carriage. What a beautiful carriage. Eloise was right. This carriage is awesome. Um, the Queen has kind of come. You know, she's not doing a good job of being undercover. Maybe she wasn't trying to. Her carriage does rather stand out quite a bit. Um, but the Queen is saying some wild shit. First, first she says, why did you run away from your brother's so-called wedding? Which I, again, I actually laughed out loud. That was very funny writing. Then she says some crazy shit like, your denial will only enhance your punishment. It's like, holy, f hold up. What punishment are we like? What are we talking about? That seems very sinister. Later, she says, pride may not be as precious as you, or as your, pride may not be as precious to you as your breath. And I'm like, what? Are you going to fucking strangle her? Like, it's like, what is going on here? Like, that is, the queen is hitting another level of sinister we haven't really, uh, you know, seen yet. And I know she probably doesn't mean like literally. However, some of the threats she's making sound a little more intense than I give Bridgerton as a show credit um, for being. Well, basically, the Queen is here, though, to say, look, I know your lady whistled down. I have looked at the evidence, and I am correct because I am the Queen, and I am the best detective. I am actually Sherlock Holmes, and I have looked at all the evidence. I said, you know, someone caught you running away from your brother's wedding, which was a very dumb idea that I pointed out at the time, and that must mean your lady whistled down. She's kind of ignoring that all of the points that she uses to blame Eloise would also apply to Penelope. The problem is Eloise was just a lot more reckless 
with running around and hanging out with at a printer shop and and pen has been obviously a lot more more careful but the blinders are definitely on all of the logic she's using to, to trap herself into believing it's eloise she could also apply to penelope which i find like an interesting kind of conundrum eloise is also being presented with a problem that affects her family, right? You know, most of what the queen is saying is not that, I mean, Eloise, she does threaten her breath, which is scary, but most of what she's saying is like, once people find out your Lady Whistledown, they will come for their revenge and your family's problems will get, you know, quite a bit worse. And Eloise, like I just had in my notes that her brain must be melting, kind of realizing that all of the things she's been doing kind of selfishly because she doesn't really vibe with the, the way her family re interacts in the social season have now come back to bite her family in the ass and they had nothing to do with it and it's all kind of her fault and so i just think for eloise it's a very interesting conundrum to have to fill kind of realizing ah shit all this stuff i was doing because i actually didn't really like the way my family behaves in the social season and their expectations of me is now coming back to bite my family in the ass, which was never really my intention. And so it's just interesting to kind of see how she deals with that. And at least for the rest of this episode, she deals with it quite well. I'm kind of proud of Eloise in a way. It's, it's good. Back to the promenade. Things are ending. You know, no one's talking to either of the families. And I put in my notes, this actually sounds kind of like a dream. You know, I know they don't have AirPods back in 1814, but this is my ideal walk. And I know they're only walking to be social and not for exercise or anything. But on a beautiful day like that around, you know, Regency era London, I'm keen on just like walking around. I don't want to talk to anybody. I actually don't want anyone to talk to me. I kind of just want to enjoy the sights, walk around, get the fresh air. So I personally would not mind all of the 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 spurning that's happening here the the no i don't want to talk to you i would rather i would rather do anything than talk to you it's like great i would rather do anything than talk to you so this is this is a great mutually beneficial decision you're making to not talk to me i i would have personally vibed with it obviously they don't because they're trying to restore their social credibility but i just wanted to point out in every problem there's an opportunity and the opportunity to walk around while everyone else just shuts the fuck up around you is great that's a great opportunity that we should take more often i would be going on more promenades if everyone hated me and no one wanted to talk to me instead of less that's for sure we get over to a room of some kind i don't know if we are in the bridgerton house or the danbury house i guess i guess the danbury house because the dog fucking comes in later which is also funny and <laughs> the plan here is like Somebody needs to keep these two people apart. The second the camera cut into the scene and they're they're kind of in there discussing what they're going to do and Lady Danbury's like all of these other people had problems with their mistresses and shit and now they dare to come and talk to me this way and to and to leave me unsocial or whatever. It's like Lady Danbury's not happy about that. Fair enough. But Anthony and Kate are like sitting next to each other. We're like, wait, this whole thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still a little sick, but I'm doing my best. This whole thing happened because Kate and Anthony at the wedding were a little too obvious about loving each other. And Edwina kind of had this like light bulb moment of kind of realizing it and the solution to this problem is to have them sit next to each other in this room while we're dealing with it is hilarious it's so funny edwina here is also just on a roll so she has a line at the very end of the episode that i didn't really like but for at least right now this is so funny. She's like, I'd like to remove myself from this room. <laughs> Fair enough. But she also has the, was I really that blind? Oh my goodness. When the dog comes in and Anthony and Kate stand up and they're standing to, they're standing next to each other like broken magnets. Like they're, 
like they're both magnets that are attracted to each other like are being pulled towards each other but they know they shouldn't be right next to each other so they're kind of pretending like this magnet thing isn't happening it's bizarre how they're standing next to each other and the whole time i was like i don't i don't think you're saying like, <laughs> we're in a room to try and save this social situation <laughs> fucking anthony and kate the two like the last thing you need to happen is for them to get involved with each other and they they can't even sit in a room together without being like horny for each other the second they stand up and it's so funny to me that this situation is happening there's a few other moments of note in this scene as well, most of which are just as funny as everything else. Lady Danbury is explaining that if they don't do something, sentiment will harden, and then we, are, we already talked about it. There's two things you can do in this society. You can walk and you can dance. The walking did not work, so what's next? Dancing. There's going to be a ball. <laughs> They're going to have a ball, and they know that no one's going to resist a ball at the Bridgerton house. They, they're going to have to, you know, at least cozy up to these guys a little bit to get an invitation to the ball, and that will solve the problem. Anthony's face when he hears about this plan is probably the face I would be making, and he's talking about, yeah, they're going to come and expect, in, inspect this wreckage with an even closer lens. And I was like, you're not helping. You don't need a lens. I could, expect, I could inspect it from, like, 100 miles away. The second you both stand up, you're just like magnetized to each other you're not gonna need a ball to inspect the wreckage you're you're walking wreckage you are just walking the wreckage around all the time it's like it's crazy it's all crazy i love it so much edwina is my spirit animal in this scene she's like yeah they've been so good at lying so far they've been so good at hiding their true feelings that surely it wouldn't bother them to do it for another evening just fucking yes edwina fucking yeah love that and then <laughs> Lady Danbury has to treat them like toddlers. Once this whole kind of weird magnetic standing up thing happens and they're, you know, sweating and stuff, Lady Danbury's like hitting them with the cane, like putting the cane between them and saying, you know, all we need to witness is something untoward. And they're actually offended by this, which is crazy. Uh, Miss Sharma, Kate, is like, has like the one Lady Danbury moment. She's like, Lady Danbury, how dare you? <laughs> but Anthony has like the, the, pardon me, Mrs. Danbury, I would never do, I'm a gentleman, I would never do anything untoward. It's like, motherfucker, you kissed Kate at the altar where you were meant to marry Edwina last episode. I'm presuming in the show two days ago, three days ago, sometime last week. This has not been a long time that has passed. There have been at least 20 times. The closet, the kissing, the, the hunt, the bee with the bosom touching, where you could have been caught and like forced to marry Kate. And you have the audacity to stand here and get mad at Lady Danbury for suggesting that y'all might do something untoward. You lit at least every episode, we've hit an untoward count of about four things, man. Like, come on, Anthony. Come on, man. Y you are... Again, you are walking the wreckage around in real time. Later in this episode, y'all are going to do sex and stuff in the middle of your garden where any one of the two families could just walk up and see you. So don't get mad at Lady Danbury for suggesting you do something untoward because you would. It'd be a little self-reflective, my guy. Despite how funny the last scene was, and I hope you guys found it funny as well, because it's truly just comically funny, the last scene. Uh, I hate this staircase scene with a fiery passion of a thousand suns. This is probably my least favorite scene in all of Bridgerton. I hate it so much. I'm not going to analyze it for very long because this is a positive podcast. 
But, you know, Mama Bridgerton fucking chasing him down the stairs, asking him, is this plan going to be a problem? Blah, blah, blah. And then when Anthony says, like, no, 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 I'll play the part, whatever, whatever, she fucking goes in and being like, well, even if the ball solves the problem, like, it still leaves you with no one to marry. It's like, good golly, Miss Molly, leave this guy alone. Leave him alone. Give him more than a day to sort him stuff out. I cannot stand Mama Bridgerton in this season. I, I It's worse than when she didn't tell Daphne what sex was, because at least that was kind of normal for the society, even though it's a bonkers stupid decision to make. At least everyone in society is doing this, because everyone else thought you could catch pregnancy like a disease or something, like the flu. And here she is, after all of this, he was going to marry Edwina, and she didn't fucking like that. As she, as he was going to marry Edwina, like right before the wedding, she came in and be, she was like, you know, I, I tried, I really tried. I told myself, whoever you choose, I would support, but I can't support Edwina because, you know, I can tell that you don't really love her or whatever. So she's running around this whole season, kind of all like hot and cold, never giving Anthony any credit, never giving him the benefit of the doubt. Once he had decided and made a choice, he's going to get married. He's going to get married to Edwina, who, like I mentioned, you can kind of vibe with, right? Like they're, maybe they're not in love, but they certainly enjoy each other's company they certainly would be at least a relatively happy couple that would treat each other well there'd be at least a, a certain level of kindness that probably isn't that common in marriages in this time so edwina is still batting well like both of these people marrying each other edwina and anthony are batting well above the average that they could do for themselves in a worse situation and mama bridgerton fucking hated that she had wanted nothing to do with that that was not acceptable. But now it's like, who, who else is he going to marry mama? Like, Oh, I was, I, I'm getting worked up about this. This scene made me so mad. I, I was, I was mad at the screen. This scene sucked. Mama Bridgerton sucked in this one. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too hard on her and maybe other people have a different interpretation of this scene, but I watched it multiple times to like convince myself to like it. And I just could not. And then I'm also very into Anthony's response. You know, we talked about this in another episode where I gave like personal examples, but I really like the whole like, look, mom, I don't need you to fucking lecture me. Like, do you want me to tell you I fucked up? Is that what you want? Is that why you're here to like make me understand that I fucked up so you could have the satisfaction of hearing me say it out loud? Because if that's what you want, just so you know, I fucked up more than just this. I fucked up so many things that you and father will never even know about it. And I am quite certain that you and Lady Danbury will make this fucking plan work. So like, leave me the fuck alone. And then he marches out. And I was like, you know what? She deserved that. Anthony was, I, I'm, I'm with Anthony in this scene. That is the response I would have had to. I would like, anytime, like, do, is that what you want? Do you want me to tell you I fucked up? Because if that's what you want here, I fucked up. Bye. Like that, yeah, I was with Anthony on this scene. I, I try and give Mama Bridgerton credit and she's trying to she's trying to be a mother and I get it. Uh, but this this scene was a little over the top for me. I, I, I was not happy with it. I was not vibing with it, as the kids would say. Penelope is hanging out with Eloise and she's about to find out that she's in big trouble too because it turns out, dun, 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 the queen thinks Eloise is Lady Whistledown and she, <laughs> Eloise is having this conundrum where she has like all of these pamphlets laid out and she's like, ah, fuck, I shouldn't have these pamphlets laid out. What if the queen is here in this room right now and discovers them? That would make things really bad. Penelope is in an interesting position here that I, I really enjoyed with this episode where she knows that Eloise isn't Lady Whistledown because she's Lady Whistledown. So she's 100% certain of that. And she knows that Eloise responding to this poorly will be very bad to her. She also knows the queen coming out and telling everyone Eloise is Lady Whistledown will be quite damaging to, to not only Eloise, but probably 
to Penelope as well, because then if she keeps publishing, it just makes the queen look even worse, right? Like if the queen thinks it's Eloise, tells everyone it's Eloise, and then it turns out it's not, you know Penelope's gonna have to write like, and the queen thought I was Eloise Bridgerton, but she's an idiot. So there's a lot of moving parts here that are all bad for Penelope. And then Penelope has to navigate this in a way that doesn't give away that she's Lady Whistledown and can kind of fix it, which she doesn't do. But in this moment, you know, you as the audience figure that she can fix it. And she kind of has this like, stay away from Theo. Project number one, stay away from Theo. Don't don't go talk to Theo. Like, that's bad. They're going to keep watching you. they got tabs on you now. If you keep going to printer shops, it'll only get worse, which is good advice for Eloise. Also self-serving. Like, the more people go into printer shops to snoop around, the more likely it is that Penelope gets found out. So there's a, like that little layer there. Fantastic. But then she says something crazy where she's like, and then, then what's going to happen is we're going to wait for the next episode or the next uh, issue, sorry, of Lady Whistledown, and hopefully that will exonerate you. And it's like, what? Based on what? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, why, why in the world would the next episode or the next issue? Sorry, this is not a TV show. Why on earth would the next issue say anything that would exonerate Eloise as being Lady Whistledown unless you are Lady Whistledown? Because Eloise is only going to have this conversation with you, and then if the next issue suddenly you know, exonerates her, she's going to go, wait a second, that's weird. The only person I told about this was Penelope. And like, so it's just weird to me that Penn Stroud's like, hey, wait for, and I guess what else are you going to do? I don't know what else she's going to do in this moment of the episode. But yeah, that seemed like, oh, dude, you're going to give this away. Although Eloise is like the most, she's a terrible detective. She's the least observant person on the planet. Maybe, like, she's already given away that she's laid a whistle down like a hundred times and Eloise hasn't picked up on any of it. So maybe she's kind of thinking, oh, Eloise is a fucking idiot and like will not catch on that it's me. So maybe this will work. So I don't know what else she's going to do. That's probably the plan I would have come up with or came up with, but that does not mean it's a, a good plan to say the least. Penelope takes this information and sneaks on off to the Modiste, which I have so many questions of the logistics of this. How is Penelope able to just like sneak out of her house to go, I guess the way, the same way she sneaks out to go and give the flyers to the printer at the beginning. Cause now she's got the flyers going in the dresses. I think that's the plan. Like the Modiste sends them off for her. So she doesn't need to run around. But at the beginning of the season, we see her running around and putting on her Irish accent. So maybe she's sneaking out the same way. Anyways, though, she's at the Modiste, and they're talking about different ways that she could kind of get out of this situation. And she's conveniently ignoring all of the ways that would out her as Lady Whistledown, because they, they go over a few different options. And a couple of the options, I go, oh, that would work. And then they go, that would not work. One of them is to just tell the queen that she's Lady Well, One of them is just to come clean. Just to come clean and be like, hey... I'm Lady Whistledown, Eloise is not Lady Whistledown. And then they write that off as a bad idea because like the queen wouldn't give her an audience or whatever. And I'm, I'm not sure about that. I think of anyone in society, like the Featheringtons don't have an audience with the queen often, but they're in society. Like the like they're, they're like, it's not like the queen doesn't know who they are. If one of the Featheringtons like showed up at the palace and kept yelling out loud, hey, I'm Lady Whistledown, yo, over here, I'm Lady Whistledown. The queen would, I think, be a little interested in hearing what you had to say. So I'm not sure that's true at all. But then they also, um, yeah, I don't know. That was the one plan there where I was like, I think that would probably work if you tried it. But that, that plan conveniently outs Penelope. So she's kind of pretending that all of the plans that would out her wouldn't work, even though they're the best plans, because Penelope's a little selfish, right? Like, again, humans are complicated. Life's living in the gray. She is trying to find a way to save her friend from this problem while also still getting to be Lady Whistledown and it's proving to be a little bit 
of a challenge. The modiste in this moment is kind of freaking out because now the queen is on to Lady Whistledown and she is she says that I'm aiding and abetting the, a notorious gossip writer. And I wrote, I mean, maybe the queen doesn't like that, but is that a crime? Is aiding and abetting a notorious gossip writer like on the books as a crime? Is that actually illegal? Or will the queen just not like it? Or are those the same thing? Is the queen just not liking something is like the queen's word just the law? Very interesting to kind of try and figure that out. But she's rightfully, I think, freaking out that she's going to get, you know, torn asunder as well once the queen kind of... The queen's going to, you know, blame Eloise for it. But eventually she'll find out that the modiste was involved in some way and then she'll be ran out of the town and all that. So I can see why she's a little worried. Interestingly enough, Penelope in the moment doesn't like this plan, but eventually does this plan, so I'm going to call this the world's dumbest plan. Instead of all the reasonable options that they had that would have, you know, ruined it for Penelope, but saved it for Eloise, which is the right, honorable, noble thing to do, kind of throw yourself... You are the guilty one, by the way. Like, Penelope is the guilty one of being Lady Whistledown. Throw yourself in front of the danger to save your friend. You, you, you don't even take the bullet, because the bullet is kind of meant for you, so you're not even... Like, in the same way, jumping in front of a bullet meant for someone else. Like, the bullet is meant for you. So you take your own bullet, right, and save your friend. And that's like, no, 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 no. The queen would never listen to me if I did that. So instead, the best plan we can come up with is to fucking slander Eloise in Lady Whistledown. Because nobody, nobody would slander themselves in the press. Which, fair enough, I'm not sure how true that is. But I think it makes sense for this society where social standing is so important Nobody, I think, I think that's correct. Nobody would purposely make their social situation worse in the press, even if it would help them out. So I don't think they would do that. I think they're right about that. But Penelope kind of settling on the plan of, yeah, we're going to fucking ruin Eloise. And then she's going to take the, well, she won't take the bullet, but then I don't have to take the bullet either. Is kind of like fucked up and unfair. Because what Penelope should do, if she had, you know, noble kind of intentions and honors and, and honor and morals and stuff is just come clean. The queen thinks it's her best friend. That's not fair. Eloise is going to take the bullet for it. I'm going to take my own bullet. I'm going to come clean is what she should do, but that's not what she's going to do because people are complicated and that's not what most people would do. So before you sit there and think to yourself, oh, if I was Lady Whistledown, I would definitely do the right thing and come clean. No, you wouldn't like shut the fuck up. Like everyone likes to pretend that they're their hero of their own story. Most of the people would try and do most people in this situation would try and do exactly what Penelope does. Try and find a way to save your friend without ruining it for yourself and try and find some middle ground. Very few people would actually just like come clean and be like, yeah, you know what? I know the queen's on a fucking rampage and I'm just going to like stand right in front of it to spare someone else the rampage. Even though it's like, even though it's what people should do, most people would not do that, including Penelope. Do I think most people would also just actually just jump to the option and smear their friend in the press either? No, I think most people would find some middle ground somewhere, but I do want to try and like acknowledge that I'm probably not, if I was in this situation, uh, then I don't know if I would be the hero of this story either, and I'm not sure most people would be the hero of their own story, and so I just find this whole thing fat. This is why characters who are doing things in the gray are most fascinating to me, because we all do things in the gray. No one does things fully 
on the good side. We're all, you know, most people are closer to the good side than the bad, but we all do things in the gray that are a little bit, you know, we all lie to our friends a little bit, you know. You don't want to go out on a Friday night and your friends suggest, oh, we're going to go out on Friday night. You're just like, ah, I have a dentist appointment or something. You don't have a dentist appointment or whatever. You just don't want to go out, so you lie. You do the dishonorable thing and lie to your friends to make your social life easier. We all do little things like that. And so I think that this is Penelope doing like her version of that where she wants to do the right thing by Eloise so long as it doesn't have too many negative consequences for herself. And so she rationalizes that all of the plans that would negatively impact herself just wouldn't work. Even though they would, she set up this kind of permission structure to... This scene sets up the permission structure for Penelope to make the choice she makes later, which is wonderful writing. I find it really true to how humans kind of actually function. And in order to get there, Eloise starts as a noble person who wants to save Eloise, but through kind of setting up this permission structure for herself, she gets to the point where her only real option, in quotation marks, is to ruin Eloise in the press so that she also doesn't get found out. Very fascinating stuff in this scene. Benedict is having a good time at one of his parties. <laughs> These parties look like a great time. There's a harp, there's a little bit of music, there's drinking, there's boobs, there's painting. Like, oh, it sounds, sounds, sounds perfect. <laughs> what a party. Being an artist, being a, a, an artist from the wealthy, from a wealthy family where you don't actually need to be good at art because you have loads of money and security anyway. Sounds fantastic. Anthony comes and <laughs> he is uh, distracted by the noise. And I put, this is the quietest loud party ever. It didn't, you know, they didn't do a good kind of audio mix to make it sound loud enough that Anthony would have a problem speaking to his brother. He he kind of starts going in on Benedict. I mean like, is this what you do every day? And Benedict is so funny. He Benedict is my star of the season so far. He's been incredible. He has that, did you come to admonish me, big brother? And then frowns a little bit in just the most sarcastic way. So good. Anthony goes in again about duty. It's like just because you're the second born doesn't mean you don't have any responsibilities. It just makes you second. And Benedict is like, Benedict says what I'm feeling about Anthony. He goes, how long do you plan on punishing? This is good big brother or good brothering. He's not the big, he's the younger brother, but this is good brothering. This is good siblinging. You know what I mean? He's there. He's like, how long do you plan on punishing yourself for, for whatever is going on with you and the Charmers? Which I agree with like, dude, just go marry Kate. You're already in the mud. Your family's already, you know, disreputable or whatever. You already got all this fucking social shit going on. Just marry Kate. Like, marry Kate. It's not going to make the situation worse. It's probably not going to make it better, but shit's already bad. So at least, like, have it be bad and make yourself happy. That's my advice. And that seems to be Benedict's advice as well. Benedict, who is still a novice artist, has some very philosophical kind of opinions about art. Uh, very funny. He's like... You know, normally when I paint, if I don't like what I'm seeing, I can change the color palette, but I certainly don't throw out the whole painting. You have to change your perspective, brother. It's like, okay, Benedict the philosopher out here with advice for Anthony. And Anthony, who will take this advice later, at the moment goes, back on the tea, are we? Lovely little callback to the fucking tea that Benedict had that Colin gave him at the dinner. Um, that was super funny. But I think this is good advice for Anthony. Like, look, the situation is bad. But it's not unmanageably bad. You can still be happy and like be with Kate and stuff within the situation. You just gotta like change the perspective, which is not that easy to do and a little less simple than Benedict's making it sound. But overall, quite good advice for Anthony, specifically the how long do you plan on punishing yourself for? Because that's kind of what I think Anthony's doing. So yeah, I'm in on what Benedict is saying here. Good work, Benedict. Get back to the and like get back to the party. You're having a good time.
The next day we head to the museum, you know, where, where you can either walk or you can dance. But today we're going to walk around a museum instead of a lake. And I've been, been to many British uh, museums, specifically the British Museum and the Victoria and Albert Museum. I think those are two of the bigger museums in London. And London museums are world class. They're incredible. It does help that they were able to like rampage around the world for a couple hundred years and like steal everyone's cool shit and not give any of it back. That part's really bad. However, uh, when you look at it in a museum, it's still really cool, despite how ethically terrible it is that that shit's in a museum. Still looks cool. And I, you know, got some flashbacks to some experiences I had at museums in London that were quite pleasant. It does occur to me, though, that these people are... This is just a social event. Like, everything is just for the socialness of it. They just need to spice up where they're walking. None of them are actually interested to any uh, about anything in this museum. They're just using this as an excuse to talk to each other and to gossip and to socialize. Because it's called the social season, not the let's learn about cool shit at the museum season. So, um, we're just kind of setting the stage at a museum here. At the... <laughs> at the front door of the museum to the plan here here's how the plan's going to work they are going to be out in public together the sharmas and the bridgertons and the idea is that they're going to like link arms and walk around together united as a group so that people will start to believe that it was a mutual decision there's no bad blood it was a mutual decision the wedding is called off but no one cares it's fine which i think is a good plan this plan is a little bit better instead of the ball plan, which I think go hand in hand, but this part of the plan is better. Like, hey, if they see us walking around together, chatting, laughing, having a good time, they're going to start to believe that we like each other and that this wedding was called off for good reasons instead of bad ones, which I think uh, might work. I've... <laughs> Um, Anthony comes in and gives flowers to everybody just so everyone like for the performance of it all so everyone can see Anthony giving flowers to everybody Edwina like hands her flowers to a footman which is so funny the look she gives Anthony is just like you fucking give me flowers one more time and I will shove them down your throat instead of handing them to this footman and I'm still on the yes Edwina train just awesome performance from Edwina I'm really digging it uh, we mentioned, they, they mentioned that the idea is that they have to enjoy each other's company. And then I wrote down, I don't think Kate and Anthony are going to have any problems enjoying each other's company. I actually think the problem is they enjoy each other's company a little too much. I think if anything, we have a, a problem of enjoying each other's company too much, certainly not too little. And then Kate walks this moment, this moment, I actually, I didn't pause the episode, but I actually thought I had to. This moment is crazy. This is the, this is the fucking Lily soap. This is what happens when you wear lily soap. Ladies, if you have a Viscount that you are trying to attract, the Viscounts are attracted like, like a bee to a flower. Like a bee to a flower, like a hot knife through butter, or whatever examples you want to use here. That was a the hot knife through butter one was a terrible analogy, but hey, work with me here. If you're trying to attract a Viscount, you just got to use the lily soap because Kate walks by and Anthony stands there and like just smells her first. Like she walks by him and like the lingering scent of the lilies is just throws Anthony just fucking right into the back of horny jail. Like he skips, he skips registration. He skips the handcuffs. He skips putting on the uniform. They just chuck him right into a cell <laughs> at horny jail. And Danbury has to fucking snap him out of it. She has like, she taps her stick on the ground and goes, mm-hmm. And just, oh my goodness. So funny. So good. I could not believe I watched it happen, but it was just hilarious. So that was just a fun bit of acting, a fun bit of writing there for Anthony to just smell the lilies and immediately have his brain melt down. So good.
Walking around the museum, we get a few fun things going on here. Anthony and Mary walking around together, pretty fun. It's nice to see, you know, uh, Game of Thrones had these good kind of pairings where for a couple episodes, these two characters that you didn't really know how they'd vibe together would go on a small side adventure. And you got all these cool little pairings. The Anthony and Lady Mary pairing was quite nice. Uh, Mary has the kind of observation. Anthony apologizes very gentlemanly, like, hey, I'm sorry this happened to your family. Yada this, yada that. Lady Mary says, you know... It is a man's privilege to kind of get the chance to think about it before apologizing. And, you know, she's right. Men are very privileged in this society, uh, especially in these types of, of matters. They get a lot more credit. I guess in this case, people hate Anthony, too. But li like I was thinking at the beginning, normally um, this would all be Edwina's fault and everyone would just, oh, Anthony's the best. So fair enough. And Anthony's being very gentlemanly about it. Lady Mary, I've been having some issues with her. Like where I had this like, where has she been moment? where she was getting mad at Kate in the last episode, she kind of acknowledges her failures and like, yeah, it's okay, dude. It's not all your fault, you know, which I agree. Like everyone has a different level of blame here. It's very rare that in a situation, there's truly just one person to blame. Um, usually there's one person that's most responsible, but usually it takes a bunch of people all doing their little part to, to make a giant problem happen. And so um, Lady Mary Mary kind of acknowledging her part in this, like I should have been in charge. I should have been doing the shit. It shouldn't have been Kate. And we kind of wouldn't have ended up here is, is great. I love that from Lady Mary. And then the plan is working. Anthony and Lady Mary are walking their linked arms and somebody comes up to talk to them. And you go, hey, at the promenade, zero people talk to them. And now two people talk to them. That is 200% more people. That is like one one hundredth of a ball. We are getting, we are slowly accumulating people who are falling for this story. And the plan is working. Love that for them. We get a brief interlude over to Mondridge's club, which is looking pretty barren. There's not a lot of people there. This is not boding well for his business. So, hope, I, you know, I don't want him to fail. I don't know if I need him. Like, I don't know specifically what purpose he's he's you know filling in this series in this season other than kind of being the person that's most likely going to find out or that's kind of on to the featherington scam that doesn't mean i want his business to fail though so i hope some more people kind of end up in there at, at some point so we'll see how that goes however uh, mr featherington comes in and he you know is feigning like oh you're a boxer i wanted the 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 gentleman that owns this fine establishment to regale me with tales of his boxing days. Mondard says boxing requires a strong stomach and even, even a stronger jaw, which is a fun line. Fair enough. And like Mondard's teeth are a little too lined up for someone who gets punched in the face for a living in 1814. His, his face, his facial symmetry is a little too much for me, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll move past that knowing that the actor in real life does not get punched in the face all the time. Mr. Featherington kind of is talking to him about old bouts and about the old Lord Featherington and <laughs> fucking like the, the old Lord Featherington was so fucking dumb. Not only did he get lose all his money betting and get himself murdered, but he wrote down his crimes in a book for his cousin to read. So basically there was that scene where Mondrich was kind of in on the scam and kind of calling out. Uh, Mr. Featherington, like, why do you need to write to your workers and all that? Mr. Featherington has now found this wager that proves uh, that the fight was kind of fixed for him to win all this money. And that's how he got murdered. And that the rest of the money and a large portion of it also went to Will, which is how he afforded this. So he's kind of onto it. And basically his proposal 
His proposal here, which I think is fair enough, is like, hey, I won't tell anyone about your scam. You don't tell anybody about my scam, and we're going to be good here. Now, we know that Mondrich is probably a little better morally centered than Mr. Featherington. However, that kind of seems like a fair trade. They're both kind of running scams. Mr. Mondrich, you know, ran his little scam with the bet to, to make all this money and, you know, for better reasons, but still. Um, he had his little scam going on and Featherington knows about it and Featherington's got him, his little scam going on and Will knows about it. And like, why would Will give a fuck about the people that, you know, Mr. Featherington is scamming? So the proposal of like, Hey, we, we both got scams. Let's all keep quiet about everyone's scams. Seems like a pretty fair deal. It kind of seems like mutually assured destruction. And I, I wonder what Will's going to do with this because I kind of thought leaving them like, yeah, if I'm Will, I'm probably not saying anything. Cause that seems like a fair trade to me. We also get the fun line from Lord Featherington that says, I respect a self-made man regardless of the means he uses to make himself, which implies that nobody else was involved in this. So he's kind of implying, yeah, I'm going to scam the fuck out of everyone and then I'm going to take all their money and run off and I'm going to be a self-made man. It's like, that's not self-making. Like That's just scamming people, right? Because all these other people are involved. You just stole all their money. Right? So you didn't make yourself. You, like, stood on top of all the other rich people and fucked them out of their money to get all of the money. But that's not that's not a self-made man. Like, there's no such thing as a self-made person. Like, you rely on a lot of people to make yourself. Like, let's see. Let's just pick a billionaire. Elon Musk is in the news a lot recently. He's got Tesla. He's got SpaceX. He's got a lot of shit going on. Right? If every, like... Like, he's not a self-made man. There are people that work on those companies. He's not there, like, making the fucking cars or, like, sending the satellites personally into space. He relies on tens of thousands of people every day to prop himself up as, a, like, as an important billionaire figure. You know, there's no such thing as a self-made anyone. Everyone requires so much help to, to get anywhere in life that there's no such thing as a self-made person. So I just wanted to call that out. That this is ridiculous. There's no, you're not making yourself. You're just being an asshole. Anyways, let's move on. Eloise in the fucking funniest turn of events to ever happen on television. <laughs> Listen to everyone tell her, don't go visit Theo. Knows that the queen fucking followed her to Theo. And that was the problem. That is why she's in trouble. <laughs> the first thing she does is go over and visit Theo. Absolutely crazy decision making. The scene is quite interesting now. There was a wasted line opportunity where uh, he comes in or she comes into the room and the, the Theo is like, yo, the master printer's not in. You'll have to come back. And then she pulls down her head and goes, it's not printing. I'm soliciting. Now, that line should have said, it's not printing. I wish to solicit. It's you, Theo. And it's like, oh, that could have been so romantic. But never mind. We missed the line reading there. It's fine. Eloise coming here is very stupid and a little selfish, but definitely well-intentioned. Theo is mad about it. Like, hey, dog. The fucking queen's goons were here and they messed me up and, you know, I almost got thrown out of here. Like, can you not come here anymore? This is not ideal anymore. And she says, like, I, I just came down to check if you are all right. Like, I didn't come down here to, like, I need to check if you are all right. And we need to get our story straight so that, you know, when people come in, you know, when people come to, to talk to you, we know what we're talking about. And Theo goes about this a little in a mean way, but I get what he's trying to do. He is trying to say, look, you don't understand the difference between the two of us. You can do whatever the fuck you want with almost no personal repercussions. Like, yes, your society might not like you and might gossip about you. You're still going to have loads of money. You're still going to have lots of food. You're still going to have tons of servants. You're still going to live in a big fancy house. You can still fuck off to the country and avoid all your problems. You're an extremely privileged person. 
I don't have any of those things. I don't have a family to lean on. I don't have money to lean on. I don't have land where I can collect the taxes on it. I just like get fired and I like, I don't even know what happens after that, but that's what he's trying to say. However, one of the things he says, I just wanted to examine a little bit because it's a good case in empathy. And we should all try to have a little bit of empathy because, again, most of life happens within the gray. And in real life, this happens a lot with the royal family. And I'll kind of talk about this. But one of the things he says is, you know, I can something like I can tell you've lived a life with no real difficulties. And I kind of want to challenge that line a little bit because it's a line that kind of lacks empathy. What he's trying to say is that Eloise doesn't have to deal with these immediately harmful difficulties that he has to deal with. Uh, food, shelter, like let's, let's pull out like, you know, the hierarchy of, need, hierarchy of needs. And, you know, he's fighting for the stuff at the bottom. You know what I mean? Because that's, he's poor and low class. And that's what they do is they have to figure out food and shelter and they don't get paid a lot to the work and they work terrible hours and all of that stuff. So he's kind of talking about these immediate lower class issues that Eloise is just blind to, right? However, to say that Eloise doesn't have any real difficulties just simply isn't fair. Yes, she's rich and wealthy and has a lot of security and her, her difficulties aren't as dire, they're not going to result in like her immediate starving or whatever. So in that sense, Theo's right. However, what it does do is lacks a little bit of empathy to kind of put yourself in Eloise's shoes and go through what like she she is literally this whole social social season she's in. She's like for sale. She is like a human for sale on this marriage market, not to love, not to be treated kindly, not to be treated well, to be sold on a marriage market to like kind of like the highest bidder in a way to secure familial alliances to secure money to secure a, a name or a title or certain traits that you want your children to have or whatever right but being even a very wealthy woman in this time being a woman in this time has very many you know very hard difficulties that you are going to have to deal with and they're just different and the difficulties Eloise has to deal with are, are kind of less immediately harmful to her immediate security but they do exist and I, I just wanted to take this opportunity to kind of talk about that you know that a lot of people in in real life say that about like the royal family and they're, they're mostly correct like a lot of these fucking people they wake up every day they don't have to do nothing they just get to parade around in their fucking carriages and gold shit they get to fly around the world they make tons of money and they just gotta like show up to things and cut ribbons and you know, be important just for being born. All of which is kind of true. However, there is a certain difficulty and price to pay for that in the sense that you just get zero privacy ever. Like imagine living your whole life where you can't just walk around. You cannot just leave your house and walk around, right? You know how lonely that would feel if I could just not leave? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you give me, how many titles you give me, how many thrones I get to sit on, whatever, whatever. If I just want to like walk around the park, Right, I'm in London, I'm a rich person, I just want to walk around Hyde Park and enjoy it. You know, Prince William can't just do that with his family. He can't just take his kids on a walk. You know what I mean? Like, that's not possible. And so, yes, the, the immediate criticism is correct and probably more, it, it's better analysis. Like, when you add all of the goods and all of the bads up, the goods certainly outweigh the bads. But I just think it's always lacked a little empathy to just blanket go, yeah, these people fucking suck. They just make tons of money and do nothing. It's like, true, 
However, the, there is a price that they pay for that in their privacy, in their social lives, in the expectations of society that are put upon them, kind of like what's happening to Eloise. They're expected to marry a certain class of people. They have to walk in a certain way and talk in a certain way and wear a certain type of clothes, which you might not think is a huge price to pay if you don't have to do it all the time. But if every single minute of your life was under the microscope, of a family and a society and the press and the paparazzi and it was all over the internet and people were fucking taking every little bad thing that happens to you and smearing it all over the press and making shit up and despair like that takes a toll and there is a price to that so in real life we fall into the trap that theo's falling in here too it's just because someone's problems aren't as obvious or as immediate as ours doesn't mean they don't have issues and so when he says no real difficulties i get what he's trying to say in the sense of like food, water, shelter, that you're not worrying about that kind of stuff like I am. But, you know, Eloise has to contend with being sold off on a marriage fucking market type of thing, which is ridiculous and terrible and awful in its own way that Theo does not have to deal with. And so I just wanted to point that out, have a little discussion on here that just because someone's problems aren't as immediate as yours and your problems, Theo's problems are the bigger problems to have. That does not mean the other, that does not mean Eloise isn't, isn't sincere here. It doesn't mean Eloise isn't coming to this trying to be sincere and trying to be helpful she doesn't have the information or the context to really do that and this is theo giving her that information and context but it just kind of happened in a way where i was like oh this is a good discussion point for the podcast so i took that 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 point and we are moving on that was i i didn't think this would be the scene i talked the most about but let's let's head back to the museum edwina and kate are talking to each other edwina says hey it seems like the cowpers and the gorings or whoever are buying this story it's a fucking lady cowper gullible as always silly silly lady cowper and and then <laughs> she's i'm still I, I i fall out of it a little bit at the end of this episode but here i'm still with it she, she says something along the lines of, yeah lying is something you and the viscount have taught me so well which is just yeah keep going edwina I love this. Kate is trying to say, like, look, I did my best. Like, what will it take for you to forgive me? And Edwina pretty much says, you know, nothing, dog. Like, I am mad. Which is fair enough. Edwina is going to continue to be mad. They have a talk about love and happy endings and all that. And Edwina is just... She's in her feelings right now. Uh, perspective will come with time. She needs to heal a little bit. But right now, she's extremely... I bet capital J jaded. She's all on, love's not real. Happy endings don't exist. Everything sucks. What she is acknowledging is what I like to acknowledge is the price of love, right? That, hey, even this really happy thing between mama and appa ended in tragedy. And here we are at the end of this tragedy. True love doesn't exist. Happy endings don't exist. And Kate, of all people, is trying to be like, yeah, no, they do exist. What do you mean happy endings don't exist? Like, come on, Edwina, like, let's cheer up a little bit. And so I thought that was an interesting conversation. I don't want to go too much into it because I talked a lot about these types of themes in another episode this season. Um, but I thought that was an interesting observation that her takeaway from the whole situation is that she has now learned that love is fake and that you know happy endings aren't real or whatever and it's maybe true but that's the price of having the happiness along the way or whatever it's kind of the price you pay for it anyways let's let's keep going here anthony and kate back together because no one in the show actually gives a shit about them like it's just like hey let, let's all walk around the museum and let's just hope that Anthony and Kate don't talk to each other. It's like, so we need chaperone. Lady Mary needs to stay with Anthony. Lady Danbury needs to stay with Kate. And they need to have like a, a rotation around the museum. So they're always the same distance apart. But that doesn't happen. Kate here acts in a way that I actually don't understand. Maybe somebody in Facebook or on Patreon or email or whatever will explain this to me. She's actually like 
What? So they're at the museum, and maybe she's just talking like this because it's public, and she doesn't want anyone to overhear. But like then she says, like we are ashamed of what we did. We should be ashamed of what we did, acknowledging that the thing happened anyway. So Anthony walks up, and he's like, "Hey, I just wanted to talk to you. Yada yada this, yada that. Like, hey, we have we just made out at the altar last episode or a couple days back. Like, we should talk about that." And then she says, like. There's no world in which we could kiss. And, I, and then I wrote my notes, but you, but you did. But you did. Like, what do you mean there's no world in which it could happen? Like, but you did do it. So, like, what is going on here? And then she says, we should be ashamed of what we did. And I was like, you, like, this morning, this morning, the beginning of the episode, I think, was the same morning, or at least two mornings ago. You were like rubbing your lips, having tawdry imaginings about the kiss. And now you're just like, we should be ashamed. You were not ashamed. Shame was not what you, maybe she's a little like, you know, maybe she's a little like uh, upset that Edwina just kind of, you know, admonished her a little bit and kind of ran off again. So maybe she's up in her feelings about Edwina. But like in the same episode, you were just like, you know, rubbing your collarbone, moving your finger around your lips, kind of imagining the kiss over and over and over and over again. And to now kind of stand in this museum and be like, yeah, we should be ashamed of it, Anthony. It's like, shut the fuck up, because you're not ashamed at all. Like, stop, be stop being this way, Kate. Like, this is not fair. You're 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 asking Anthony to be ashamed of something that you were having tawdry imaginings about an hour ago. Like, come on, come on. What are we doing here? Anthony even has the line right out of my brain, are you quite serious? Which is what I was literally writing, like, are you serious, Kate? What is going on? We do learn, though, that Lady Cowper, <laughs> who's already fall fallen for the mutual uh, decision story, not knowing the rooms, you gotta know the rooms of the museum you're in, she comes up and says, like, Lady Danbury, I'm surprised that you're walking around this museum, and Lady Danbury just dunks on her, like, my family actually has a wing in this museum, and then... <laughs> <laughs> Lady Bridgerton, the, the basketball's been put up. She goes for the alley-oop. Yes, it's right over there, isn't it? Points to the fucking Danbury wing. So funny. Putting Lady Cowper in her place. So, of course, of course that's why they're here. It's because they have a wing. They belong here. So, I, I, I did like that. They talk about the ball. And Lady Bridgerton approaches this in, like, a really assholey kind of way. Like, they need to have people on their side. They need to, like, no one likes them right now. No one wants to talk to them at the promenades, right? People are slowly starting to talk to them at the museum. The plan is going well. I wouldn't be as rude about this ball as Lady Bridgerton is being. She says something like, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll find room for you. And maybe we'll get you an invitation. So you need everyone you can get. Like, let's not be mean to people here. You need to convince everybody to show up to this ball to have this plan work. So, like, let's not start with like two popular people or at least two people that we know of they must be pretty popular let's not start by making them grumpy like let's be a little more kind about invitations to this ball now we move along to the featherington house where penelope is struggling to write her takedown of eloise <laughs> she's already decided in this moment that she is going to write the takedown of eloise because later she tells colin that you know she doesn't deserve to be thanked thanks for being loyal or whatever so now we're kind of catching on she is gonna you know write the hit piece on l here uh, colin is getting swindled by cousin jack because he's nitty he's just gonna like take the money out give it to cousin jack lose it all i don't even know how he's gonna explain this to anthony but i suppose we'll worry about that another time maybe next season i don't know but anyways uh colin is dealing with that stuff he's he's being dumb and silly everyone else is enamored by the mind so i wish to be as well okay colin good work when they walk down the stairs here um eloise or not eloise uh, penelope and colin they're still pretty cute i'm still rooting for them it is a little bit weird to me i understand what colin's thinking of it's weird to me that he wants to name make a name for himself by investing in like mines i don't know how that ends up making i think that just you just make a ton of money, 
but it's cousin Jack, theoretically, assuming this wasn't a scam, it's cousin Jack who makes a name for himself, but I definitely get that, like, third brother syndrome where it's like okay you're definitely never going to be in charge of the family you have no specific guidance no specific duty you need to perform you're kind of just rich and have all these resources and need to do something with them so from that point of view i understand why he feels a little bit left out a little bit like he has to go around and and make a name for himself in a way that Anthony... Anthony does too, but in a different way. Benedict's got his art stuff. And there's always the possibility Anthony gets stung by a bee, for instance, tomorrow. And Benedict has to take over. But it's unlikely that happens twice for it to pass to Colin before Anthony or Benedict have a kid. And so... I get it from Colin's per perspective. He's talking to Penelope in a very weirdly sensual way. Like, our relationship has taken place quite naturally over the years. He keeps talking in this way that no one talks about just to get uh, Penelope excited that he possibly loves her or whatever. Which is just really mean from the writers to do this to uh, Penelope. This is where Penelope says, oh, I don't know if you should thank me for, for your our loyalty. So now we know she's going to write the hit piece on Eloise. And then um, Colin has a very fun request like, hey... I'm going to take out a large sum of money and just give it to Cousin Jack. And once we once we both make a ton of money, our family names will increase and it'll be awesome. But could you, could you please not tell anybody? Don't tell Anthony. Don't tell Eloise. Don't tell anybody. I'm just going to do this thing. It's my thing. And I think that's very funny from Colin, kind of subconsciously knowing it's a terrible idea. Um, so he doesn't want anyone to know until it's irreversible, before anyone could stop it. Maybe feeling a little bit tread upon, like micromanaged, like, hey... If, I, if Anthony knows about this, he has the power to stop it. He's in control of the money. But once I give the money away, he, he can't get it back. So at that point, I can ask for forgiveness and not permission. I understand that approach as well. Lady Featherington is trying to remind Papa Featherington, Cousin Jack, sorry, not Papa Featherington, uh, that, hey, we don't fuck with the Bridgertons, dog. I told you this. We don't. The only people on the town you can't swindle are the Bridgertons. He has this really weird line. It's like, I love when you call it our business. And I put in my notes, holy moly, this is still very weird. I don't know how I should feel about this. Um, Lady Featherington, I, Colin's doing this to make a name for himself. Lady Featherington kind of thinks it's because um, Colin wants to get in before his family name is ruined and no one wants to take his money, which is, you know, correct, but also ridiculous because there's no way she's saying no to that kind of money regardless of Colin's reputation. So I, I, this conversation was weird, but I think, I think they're onto something with this reminder not to bully Colin and this will come back later. The Bridgertons are back in their house now for some more sibling dunking time, which is so... Every, every sibling scene with the Bridgertons is just such a pleasure to watch. We learn that Augie still has a cough, so Daphne can't make it. Definitely has nothing to do with, like, contracts or anything, or the availability of the actress. Daphne just cannot make it. Her baby's got a cold, uh, so that's funny. She reminds everybody that the theme of the ball is harmony, which is a good theme to have in this case, because uh, you're trying to make people togetherness like we are we're we're together and then uh as she's saying the word harmony hyacinth chimes in with like out of key piano kind of ruining the harmony which is so so funny you know it's a musical joke but i i keyed into it which is um which is really really good they talk about lady whistledown a little bit eloise is asking for the the next lady whistledown issue and then she like goes to the window and i put is she gonna vomit out this window is it that stressful but she's desperately trying she's got three days she's probably got, like one day left if lady whistledown doesn't exonerate her by this evening things are gonna hit the fan but also lady whistledown usually publishes in the morning so she's probably not gonna publish today so that's why it's so stressful there's a lot going on with eloise that i find interesting here and it's 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 weird to see her on the back foot normally she's you know proud and open and upfront and you know aggressively hating everything it's weird to see her kind of on the back foot kind of like it was weird to see lady danbury not really knowing what to do 
Benedict is like looking at the situation, realizing everyone's all out of whack. There's no family unity here. And he goes, perhaps there's still time to change your theme, which is again, Benedict is the star of the season. That was laugh out loud funny. So good. Penelope then comes over and Eloise goes with the plan. Like, look, Penelope, we're running out of time. I'm just going to tell her it was me. I'm just going to tell her it was me. Uh, there's nothing else I can do. I'm going to have to, you know, find a printer, print a fake sheet, tell her it was me. Uh, Penelope rightly says, you know, selfishly, because she doesn't want to be found out, kind of rightly, rightly says, hey, like, that's only going to last for so much time because Lady Whistledown will just continue publishing. And Eloise is like, well, good enough. Like, I just, more time is better than not enough time. And at least I'll get one issue out the door that the uh, queen likes. And Eloise says that I'm doing this for my family. Like, what else am I going to do? My family's going to be ruined. And part of that is I'm part of this family, so if they're ruined, I'm also ruined. But it was nice to see this side of Eloise where she's not just a selfish, entitled, kind of family-hating brat like she was in the last episode um, when she's just, like, leaving her family's weddings to see Theo or whatever. She she has her opinions. She's very, you know, forthright and, and kind of putting herself out there and openly disdainful of this thing everyone does. But that doesn't also mean she has to hate her family in a way that felt unrealistic to her. Not saying there can't be a character that does both, right? Like, you know, I'm not trying to say, I'm, try I'm not trying to fit Eloise into the mold that I want for her. I'm just saying up until last episode, I didn't really get that sense from her. This is much closer to the Eloise that I kind of had the sense that she was. So I was like in this a little bit more. Eloise says like they're gonna find the real writer and they're gonna pay for all of their crimes or whatever. And I was like, what is the crime? Like what is like especially because Lady Whistledown only traffics in things that are true, just not things that everyone should normally know about. I'm not even sure what the crime here is, just being like too gossipy, but also everyone eats this shit up. Everyone loves it. They just don't like it when they're on the back. So this whole thing is in this like circle of hypocrisy where once it comes out who is Lady Whistledown, everyone's going to be mad for the one time that they were the butt end of the joke. Kind of not forgetting that once they weren't the butt end of the joke anymore, once the gossip wasn't about them, they were fucking lining up to pay, you know, 50 pence or whatever to, or six pence or whatever the fucking coins are to buy a Lady Whistledown. So this whole society is a bunch of hypocritical ass assholes about this whole thing um eloise too like they're pay for her crimes you didn't think they were crimes you were loving lady whistledown until especially last season until you know you stopped liking what she was writing and until they started writing about you that's when you stopped kind of liking her so i don't know i think there's a little bit of hypocrisy here from eloise but more so from the rest of society about lady whistledown and how they'll react to it she also thanks Penelope for her loyalty, which is very funny considering Penelope's already written the hit piece. It's already out. It's at the printers. It's being published as we speak. So that's just a little bit unfortunate. The next scene I listed in my notes as ball prep, and then I couldn't miss, I couldn't miss a uh, opportunity for a funny like teenager joke. So, but ball prep in parentheses or in quotation marks, brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is not sponsoring this podcast, but Manscaped, you sponsor a lot of podcasts. So if you do want to sponsor this one, uh, I will do it uh, mostly for free, just so I can do the ad read because the ad reads are hilarious. Anyways, uh, email me Manscaped if you're listening to this and want to work something out. We're at the ball prep though. A Edwina and Kate are looking at each other like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Edwina just has the glare back on, which is still fair enough. Uh, the invitations look really nice. I like how much work goes into making these invitations. They come down the stairs to the ball at their own house. At their own house. And nobody is there. And they kind of have this moment of just like, well, this is unexpected. And they still, they thought what happened is that they worked enough people over on the wedding thing that they're still going to come to this ball because no one's going to miss a chance to go dancing it's one of the two things people do 
And I think that's the case as well. I think they had worked over enough people to at least get some people here dancing for when they walk down. What they don't know is that Lady Whistledown has printed, and that's why no one's here yet. But no one's here, and they assume it's because they didn't do a good enough job working over the people about the um, the reason for the wedding having been canceled. And I think this kind of stinks. Uh, the Sharmas walk in, and then they're kind of talking to each other about how much this stinks that no one's here. Anthony decides that there will be dancing, and we're getting a glimpse of this new Anthony, a new perspective, he says to Benedict. And here we are. We are going to let, they're going to roll. Uh, there's a few notes here. He calls down Hyacinth to dance with him. Great. And there's two things I want to note here. One, what's the reason Hyacinth and Gregory are not allowed to participate obviously they're not on the market but surely they can still come and like dance surely all these other fam maybe it's just a space issue like if all of these other families also brought their 12 and 13 year old children there's just too many people around to dance um but i kind of found it interesting that hyacinth and gregory like they're not dressed up they had no they're not allowed to participate in a ball at their house so i wonder at what age you are allowed to participate when it's at your own house, right? I get that you're probably not invited anywhere until you're on the market or whatever. But that's not true because Eloise was invited around last year and showed up everywhere. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But I just I found it weird that at least Gregory isn't allowed to participate. But Gregory says, if she's allowed to dance, so can I. And so they all come down for a dance. And I hadn't realized this until i watch this scene when anthony suggests they're gonna dance with each other everyone kind of looks around i didn't realize that these people genuinely never dance for fun right i understand that the dancing is part of the social season because it's it's one of the things that you can do where you can talk to people out in the open in a way that's not weird right because you don't have to be chaperoned or whatever there's a hundred people in the room and you're all dancing and so it's like a fun party atmosphere where you can ask questions of your potential spouse like what what kind of uh what kind of how many kids do you want to have right well where do you want to live in the country in the city those types of things i get that i also assumed part of the ball was just dancing people for fun i think we've seen Last season, didn't we see Colin and Penelope dance with each other for fun? You know what I mean? Like, it was interesting that they never dance with each other for fun. Like, they only just dance to be super serious in a social season. I just had never thought about that and realized that. It makes sense. I just, it occurred to me in this episode that I wouldn't have found it weird if they were dancing with each other. But they found it weird, which I found fascinating. What's nice about this once they start dancing is it's nice to see them having fun i always have this analysis in tv where i call it i like to know what my characters eat for breakfast um in tv and film you don't have a lot of time to break out characters right you kind of have to like learn more about characters as the plot's going on because you can't have too much exposition however i need my characters to be people i usually use breakfast as an example there like, i just need to know something about them i like to know what they have for breakfast that they enjoy waffles instead of pancakes so it's a good little character detail to just kind of add a little bit to them and let me let me see them be a real person right eloise and benedict on the swings that's a great example of a scene where i get to see them just be a real person they're just chatting this siblings you know what i mean like siblings would that's great i need a few scenes where i just get to see them exist outside of the plot of the story just so i can believe they're a real person instead of just like a plot device that's moving through a story and this scene is exactly the same where it's like it's nice to just see them dancing there's no motives here there's no plot here there's no nothing this isn't leading anywhere there's no you know big repercussions to this it's just these are the characters that we have and this is them just doing their thing and i like that it's better than a breakfast scene right i don't need a lot of it i don't need too much position but just a scene where i can see the characters being people instead of their characters i i just need that and i really enjoyed 
this scene here. It, it's very, very fun. Colin has a moment here, and I didn't catch it till the second time, but as they're switching partners, you, you need to go watch this again. As they're switching partners, Colin has a moment where he kind of cuts across the wrong partner to go and dance with Edwina so that Anthony ends up with Kate, which is the most hilarious wingmanning of all time. So props to Colin. I caught it on the second one. I did not catch it on the first viewing. But yeah, Colin kind of cuts across to dance with Edwina, leaving Anthony to be with Kate, who I think Colin was meant to dance with, or Kate to be with Anthony, who whatever. Doesn't matter. Colin with the huge wingman here. And then I put, other than Colin, like, who the fuck? Like, as soon as Anthony and Kate are dancing with each other, like, you have to stop this. Someone has to stop the dance and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We cannot do this. You cannot keep dancing with each other, but whatever. They're dancing with each other. To their credit, as soon as the dance is over, they kind of break apart and, and, and Kate kind of leaves them alone or whatever. Hyacinth, who's probably danced for the first time in a, in a scenario like this, is all about it. She wants to do a quadrille and everyone's like, nah, that was fun, but also kind of weird. Let's not do that again. So poor Hyacinth. She just wants to participate. I like Hyacinth. She's fun. Just wants to dance. Let a woman dance, okay? After the dancing, we get the super emergency edition evening print of Lady Whistledown, the takedown of Eloise. Most of these, you got to remember, they come out in the morning. It's unusual for Lady Whistledown to print for an evening, uh, an evening uh, copy of the paper. So just in time, uh, they receive this paper and they find out that, ah, no one's at this ball because Eloise has been socializing with political radicals. And this takedown is fucking ruthless from Penelope absolutely ruthless i put uh penelope is fucking ruthless holy smokes i did not expect this from penelope i thought she would choose something a little less damaging and just i, I thought she would choose something to start a conversation you know what i mean something that um something that lady whistledown would be able to use as a way to what am I trying to do? Something that Lady Whistledown would be able to use as a way to start a dialogue about how it's not Eloise, but not something that would just completely take her out. One of the lines that really stuck out to me in this kind of takedown of Eloise is, should our lives be distilled down to the sum total of our choices? I, I just have always believed that that's kind of life. That at the end of the day, you, you are just kind of left with your existence at the end is kind of the sum total of your choices. Not exactly, but I've always kind of thought something like that about kind of my view and my outlook on, on humanity and on, you know, life and living that if you can endeavor to make good choices and to choose to be kind to people and to choose to put yourself in other people's shoes and to choose to have empathy, then at the end of the day, at the sum, you will always make bad choices. All of us make a ton of bad choices frequently. But if you're always trying to make good choices, and then at the very end, when you're kind of, you know, you're taking a look at your entire life, if you can kind of balance the books and go, I made way more good choices than I made bad choices, and those good choices were consistent and they were frequent, and I did my best to make them then I think that's a, a pretty good life lived. You know what I mean? And so I, I like this line because it kind of vibes with how I, I kind of think of the world and how I kind of try and approach kind of existing in a world with other people. And so I just, I, I'll talk about this more maybe in another episode or in a season review episode, but I just really like this line from Penelope as Lady Whistledown. I'm not convinced that this convinces the queen 
that it's not Eloise. Although what, what the Modiste said does make sense. Like, I, I think the queen's going to look at this and go, yeah, Eloise would not write this about herself. So we'll see how it goes if the, if the queen is actually convinced that this isn't Eloise or if she thinks that Eloise is just slandering herself to save herself. So we'll see how this is going to go. I'm interested to see how the queen reacts to this. Colin is now getting rolled in on the Featherington deal. Uh, now that, you know, there's double scandal, scandal uh, over scandal over scandal. Now that that's happening, uh, Lady Featherington is a little less inclined to be kind to the Bridgertons. So she tells Mr. Featherington, Cousin Jack, like, hey, go ahead, fuck with Colin, take all his money. It's like, fair enough at this point. Uh, they will not be able to recover that money in any sort of time frame because they are, you know, drowning in scandals at the moment. No one's going to want to associate with them. I also took note that, it, you know, it's fun to dunk on Anthony and how poorly he kind of navigates these types of things. Sometimes he has a point, like, how is he meant to navigate, how is he meant to make good choices and, like, navigate things for his family when he's, like, in the same episode, Colin's running around and wasting all the fucking money on this Featherington plan. Eloise is going around and getting herself caught up in all of this scandal with Theo and Lady Whistledown's writing about it. Like, I understand that for Anthony, the wedding thing is the thing he was involved in, but it doesn't help that his siblings are also just routinely getting involved involved in getting involved in other shit that's going bad as well so i felt a little bit here for anthony that this is that this is happening um penelope looks really stressed she's kind of snapping quills uh, it's unbelievable that she sold out her friend that she you know threw her friend to the wolves so she's crying as she snaps her quill will this be the end of lady whistledown we will have to find out i'm gonna say probably I don't know how I don't know how Penn comes back from this as Lady Whistledown, so I gotta say probably, but I guess I'll have to wait till next episode or next season um, to find out. This is the point in the episode as well where I'm no longer kind of on Edwina's kind of you know you know being all gloom and mean to her sister. This is the point where it's a little too much for me. Kate kind of goes to ask like, "Hey Edwina, should we go home?" Which seems like a reasonable request considering no one no one is at this fucking dance. And then Edwina goes, "Don't you dare make me out to be the bad person. I know that I am kinder hearted than you." And it's like, "Okay. Okay. This is fucking ridiculous." Like in this situation, like what do you mean? And also, it has been well established that Kate's actions were ultimately unsuccessful and not very kind, but they came from a kind-hearted place. Like, life life happens in the gray. These things are complicated. Kate wasn't intentionally trying to hurt anyone here. Uh, they all came from a good place. So just, can we calm it down a little bit, Edwina? This is a little too much, considering all Kate wanted to do was just ask if she wanted to go home. So, I don't know. I'm not with Edwina here. Um, this was just a little too much for me. And then, everybody, we had to the garden pavilion where the adult content takes place. There's so much here to analyze. I will not be able to do it justice. I'll try and talk about it in like 10 minutes or less. But Anthony, mad, frustrated, whatever, needs to calm down, cool off. Where does he go? A small little, you know, is it a pavilion? I don't even know what to call this thing. I went with garden pavilion, but whatever. And so you, it's not really a pavilion though, is it? Anyways, semantics, I don't get caught up. I don't get caught up in like what is isn't a pavilion. If you know what this is called, feel free to let me know because I know it's not called a pavilion, but whatever. Uh, we get to the garden pavilion. Anthony's out there. He's, he's mad. He's frustrated. He's going to go cool off. Kate has just been like told off by Edwina. She's going to go and cool off a bit and calm down over at this fucking garden pavilion. And boom, they are there together. And they immediately start. No, you thought I was going to say having sex. They immediately start getting fucking mad at each other. I, the whole thing is just two attractive people arguing attractively. This is ridiculous. 
All of the things they are saying to each other make absolutely no sense. Anthony's going in on your obstinate, inflexible, unyielding to good playing common sense. All of this because they were just trying to figure out like who was here first and who should stick around. And Anthony, of course, is trying to get her to stay for obvious reasons. So she's obstinate, inflexible, unyielding to good playing common sense. And Anthony is like, you just need, sometimes you just need to listen. Sometimes I just say a thing and you're allowed to just be like, yes, okay, let's do that thing. Like you don't have to argue about everything. And Kate's like, yeah, okay, motherfucker. I don't listen to your dumb rules. You're an idiot. I'm an independent woman and I'm not listening to you, which is fair enough. Kate, you do not need to listen to this man. You guy, I put in my notes, haha, got him, Kate. And then she says, I do not listen to men who I wholeheartedly disagree with. And I just, okay. The, my takeaway from your rubbing of your lips was that you wholeheartedly disagreed with Anthony Bridgerton. Like, yes, that's my big takeaway from this season. Like, come on, Kate, wholeheartedly disagree with it, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm just like, okay, sure. And then Anthony is talking about like, there's nothing I can fucking do. My, my siblings are mad at me. They're going and doing this. They're going and doing that. I fucked this whole thing up. Right, there's nothing I can do. And all of all of this time, no matter how bad things get, no matter how weird things get, no matter what fucked up situation is happening, all I find myself able to breathe for is you. And it's just like, oh, so good. He also at some point says something like, you know, all, all I can think about is you and whatever. And I was like, yes, this is lovely. This is hot. This is sexy. Let's go, baby. This is awesome. And then... He starts talking about impure and forbidden desires. And I was like, oh my, like, which I find fun that impure and forbidden desires are like, you just wanting to have sex with a person. <laughs> like in 2022, they're like just normal desires. But back then they were impure and, and forbidden, which is just such a funny line. He's going on about, you know, I've never met anyone like you. And that's, that's hot. That's why I, that's why I'm so horny for you all the time is because I've never met anyone like you and Kate starts saying like but it's you it's you you're spinning my world off its asses like off its asses off its axis like what are you like you need to you need to stop and then they literally go into a little argument that is also just again attractive people arguing attractively it doesn't even make any sense he's like you need to stop you need to stop it's kind of like no you need to hang up no you need to. it's like stop what are we stopping here being horny for each other like what are we trying to stop they're telling each other they need to stop so that they don't like have sex right now but it's unclear what what they're trying to stop and then they finally have this what i'm going to call the moment that makes the most sense the rest of that i'm filing under just you know we need we need them to argue attractively to to kind of set up the scene and so they just say attractive things at each other but this part here, they kind of talk about finally something they have in common. Anthony goes, all of this stuff, I, I do it for my family. And Kate goes, all of this stuff, I do it for my family. And so they're like, oh, yeah, why don't we do something for ourselves? And I'm like, yes. Anthony says, like, before we do finally do something for ourselves, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And then he says, then this is kind of weird, but I'll roll with it because it was really sexy. He goes, like, go inside. Like, you need to go inside. And I'm writing in my notes and I'll caps, do not go inside. I repeat, do not go inside. And then Kate, with the response of a lifetime, the hottest possible thing you could say, says, what did I tell you about you and your orders? And it's just like, oh, and then they go and they start making out. Oh my goodness. Like what a setup to that. Most of that setup was just arbitrary and very funny. Parts of it about 
you know, world spinning off axes and doing things for for your family and doing something for yourselves and all of that stuff that I really vibed with. And I, I really liked that. The what did I tell you about you and your orders was just, you know, a, a 14 out of 10 line. I could not think of a better line to put there that was that was good we get an awesome cover of how deep is your love kind of you know going over this whole thing it's not quite it, it's it's a good cover for this moment it's, it doesn't quite get me as excited as the wildest dreams cover from season one but that's okay there's also i wanted to point this out it's not perfect but there's a cheeky little consent check because we all love consent in bridgerton especially after season one's kind of plot line we all like consent. You should really like consent as well. Consent is awesome. So he kind of does this little like, you know, I can stop. I can stop. I'm going to stop. And she goes, don't you fucking dare stop. And it's like, okay, we're both into this. We can proceed. Love that from Bridgerton. Good stuff. I had a brief moment while this, the, the, like, and the situation while this is happening is they're making out and hands are going all over places and mouths are going all over places and they're all doing their thing. I don't know how to describe this eloquently, so I'm just going to choose to say mouths and hands were going all over places and that's the best way I'm going to describe what's going on. Uh, I started to wonder how they weren't caught doing this just because I figured that like everyone's trying to go home and they're probably not just going to not go home. Like They're not just going to leave without Kate. Because they're not going to leave Kate with Anthony here. So they need to go and find Kate. And like the, this garden pavilion seemed to be just outside. Not exactly like it's a hike away from the main house or anywhere. But whatever. They're having a good time here. And then they start getting into more sexual activity. Which I have a unique observation on. And I want to talk about this. Um, but I put Anthony doing any kind of actual foreplay is the most gentlemanly thing about him. This was very romantic from Anthony. He's kind of doing a lot of things that don't involve... Uh, you know penetrative sex yet which is great that's awesome one of the things i really hate about movie and tv sex is they always skip the foreplay and just get to doing it which sucks that's not how things work that's not how things are meant to go that's not even the most fun way to do it so like you gotta spend quite a bit of time before doing it kind of warming everything up and getting things going this is so awkward by the way for me to like describe this on a podcast but i'm doing my best here all right, just know that I'm not someone who kind of eloquently talks about sex on a podcast often, so I am doing my best. Feel free to replace my descriptions of sex with your favorite ones. That was weird to say, too. Anyways, let's move on here. Um, my observation from this is, you know, Anthony at the end kind of wakes up with his pants on, and we can assume that this is Kate's first kind of majorly sexual experience. And I started to wonder... Did they actually have, I'm going to call it penetrative sex. I don't know if that's the official term, right? But you all know what I mean. Because what I think happened is I don't think they did. We don't, certainly don't see it. We just see actually mostly hot foreplay. And then, oh my goodness, the flashback is the hottest thing that's ever happened on TV. At the end of the scene, I was like, that was nice. That was lovely. That satisfied the buildup over seven hours to get to that point. But then when she runs home and has the flashback and her thumb is in his mouth and shit, I was like, oh my God, that's that's at least four times as hot now. And he's he's going downtown. He's having a good time down there. You know, his mouth is going all over places, which is fantastic, how very modern of uh, Anthony Bridgerton. But what I think happened, and I, you know, the ladies are probably going to correct me or they won't because it's already weird that I'm talking about it, but I'm sure someone will send me an email about it. What I think happened is that Kate Sharma 
got to have this experience with Anthony Bridgerton. Already the person she wants to have, she loves Anthony Bridgerton. She won't admit it. She'll, she'll just keep sexually arguing with him all the time. But she genuinely, if she was going to have her first experience with anyone, I believe that she would want it to be with Anthony Bridgerton. And she doesn't want it to stop. She even said so. So that's great. Person is great. The person you are having this first experience with, very important. And I'm glad for Kate that this is awesome. We know Anthony to be very experienced in the bedroom because he has sex with those people all the time and Sienna all the time. So he is very experienced. She, we can take into uh, just context clues, is not. But what I think happened is that she got like all of the foreplay, all of the good shit. She got to uh, Anthony's down there with his mouth having a good time. And I think based on like some of the shots and the moaning and everything, like she gets to finish. She gets to have the whole experience from start to finish and like, you know, reach climax and have a wonderful time there without ever having to interact with a penis. That's what I think happened. I think Anthony's pants remained on that entire time. I'm not sure Anthony's the kind of guy like mid-refractory period to remember to put his pants back on before he falls asleep in his garden pavilion to get rained on in the morning. That doesn't strike me as what would possibly happen here. And so I just think that is a huge W for Kate. And again, I could be told I'm completely wrong. This has never obviously been a situation that I've been in. But looking at this scene and going, you got with the man of your dreams to have a pretty remarkable first sexual experience to completion without ever having to look at or touch a penis. Like, I think that must be a huge W. Eventually, we're going to work our way forward and get to the next thing. But that's a huge W for Kate in my books. And also, very fucking gentlemanly of Anthony. How how much more gentlemanly can you get to just, like, not even care about yourself and just be a generous lover to the other person? How great, Fran. This whole scene was lovely. I fucking loved it. Even if my interpretation is wrong, no one's going to convince me that it's wrong. I don't care what evidence you have. My headcanon is exactly what I just said happened because I think that's a huge win for Kate and they have they have a place still have places to go and things to do but for that first experience I don't think you could have asked for it to be any better and it's outside it's in like a risque location that's like a thing people like that's like a fetish some people have they want to be outside like doing it on the beach or whatever where people could possibly like walk around the corner and see them so like this is awesome this is great yeah you're having sex with the dude of your dreams in his giant mansion out on the garden pavilion fantastic and you don't have to touch a penis great win huge win for for miss sharma there someone will tell me if i'm wrong in that analysis but that's my headcanon i do want to acknowledge one more time the way they set this up with the kind of sex scene happening or in my case not really like full sex scene but sexual activity scene kind of happening and then the way they kind of Anthony wakes up outside, you know, this is the argument against the thing is that he just got hit with the refractory period and had to fall asleep or whatever, which, you know, completely flies in the face of what I was thinking happened, but whatever. So he's, uh, he's asleep and he wakes up. Ah, there it is. Sorry. I have Slack open and people at, people at work are trying to send me messages. I'm on my day off, but they're trying to send me messages while I'm talking about the sex scene in Bridgerton. Interesting. That's weird. Anyways, uh, Anthony wakes up. It's raining on his face and everything. And he's like, whoa, where's Miss Sharma? And then it cuts to Kate running home again. I'm not even going to think about it too much. No idea how she wasn't caught doing this. No idea how like they just went home and didn't look for her all night. That's weird to me, but whatever. Let's forgive that. Suspension of disbelief. That scene was, that scene was hot enough to justify it. So cool. And then she gets the flashback where we get more details. And that's where we get Anthony, you know, downtown having a good time. And that's where we get the thumb in the mouth and all that. And that is even like, they give us the goods and then they give us the greats. And it's like, oh, this is the best way 
to kind of frame that this scene for the maximum payoff. So that was absolutely uh, so good. Anthony immediately is like, oh, I got to marry this woman now. Like for two reasons, one honor and all that. But two, that was the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm never going to be able to have sex like that with anybody else, even in my headcanon where they didn't really have sex, but whatever. I'm not going to be able to do that with anybody else. So I got to go marry her right now. Honor and nobility, family duty, and that sex was great. So like all good reasons to go and marry her. He goes to look for her and she's not home, which is crazy because other people should be looking for her as well. But she's out on a ride. <laughs> she's going earlier we had when it was just the, the bosom scene. <laughs> she had to like run to a pillar to like cool herself down. Now she's like that. That experience is overwhelming. And so she needs to, like, ride in a storm <laughs> to cool herself down. Fair enough. I don't know where she's going or what she thinks that's going to happen, but I understand just being overwhelmed emotionally, having a lot of thoughts going through your head, wondering how to, like, process that experience. So you're just going to ride. People do this with driving. Like, you know, a lot of people, when they're stressed out or have anxiety or are trying to think through a big problem, they just drive, and they drive for hours, and they just drive around, maybe not with the current fuel prices, but, like, in the oldy days, you know? You know, people just drive around and they drive for hours, they listen to music, and they just think. This is what she's doing, I think. You couldn't pay me. I live in a place where there's quite a lot of equestrian. I, I've ridden horses, you know, quite a few times. I'm comfortable doing it. I like horseback riding. Not amazing at it. But, like, you could not pay me to ride a horse in the pouring rain. That would scare the shit out of me. For the exact reason what happens to Kate here, because she's on a mission. Anthony catches up to her, which is, you know, a feat. He's got the faster steed, I, I reckon, here. Because Kate, Kate had been gone for a while. Maybe by the time Anthony got to the house, she had just left. So it wasn't actually like a big head start, but whatever. Anthony's kind of chasing her down and yelling for her. But of course, uh, she's either can't hear him because of the storm or is just trying to ignore him so she can process this experience on her own. Or, or maybe doesn't want to be asked to marry him. Maybe knows what he's trying to do. And that she's like, I don't want to marry the guy. That was great. Uh, but that's a one-time thing. Who knows? And then Kate gets to the jump that she's been able to jump frequently. And so, you know, she goes and she gets to the jump. And because of the weather and the ground and the anxiety of it all, maybe this isn't her horse. Maybe this is a new horse or whatever. The horse kind of kicks up and falls back. And Kate falls off the horse and I guess hits her head on that rock next to where she's lying to. But we are left at the end of this episode wondering, is Kate fucking dead? Like, did she die here? Uh, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. What a, what a, you know, we get the high of the sex scene to just the absolute low of Kate being fucking unconscious at the end of this episode. And well, it well, I had to suspend quite, quite a bit of my disbelief for these scenes to work. These two scenes were the best two scenes in the show for me this episode. They really worked for me. I love them. If the rest of the episode had kind of been up to this standard of how awesome I found it, it probably would have been the highest rated episode of the season. Um, but these two scenes were absolutely amazing. Just incredible at the end here. And I suppose that's it. That's all. I guess we'll find out next episode what happened to Kate. Did she hit her head? Did she not? Is she dead? Is she going to be fine? Who knows? We'll find out in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for bearing through my interpretation of the sex scenes. I know that's what everyone is here for. That's what everyone's been waiting, you know, nine hours of podcasting for is to hear me talk about that scene. So I appreciate it. Just remember, go and leave those five-star reviews and all of that stuff. Go over to the Facebook group, hit up the Patreon, you know, get involved, hang out, you know, talk to other people about Bridgerton. It's wonderful. Send me an email so I can read it on the podcast in our listener feedback episodes. Hit us up on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. 
the email is let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. All of the links to everything are in the show notes below. I think that's it. it that, what, what am I trying to say? I think that's it. That's all. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bridgerton. I hope you enjoyed this analysis of this episode of Bridgerton. And I will see you in the next one for the finale, for the final episode of season two. <laughs>